Well, good morning, church. So good to see y'all. If you would turn to 1 Timothy, that's where we're going to be this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, together. And uh, just in a moment here, I want to read our entire passage together because I'm, I'm going to more or less quite a bit of scripture. I'm just going to be um, jumping in and out of it, going to different places uh, together this morning. Uh, but first of all, I just want to say welcome. Thanks for being here. My name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here, and it's, uh, it's a privilege to have you joining us today. And um, it's going to be a, a, an exciting morning where I kind of feel like I'm preaching to myself today. And you'll get the idea once we get into the text. Um, but the last number of weeks, we've been walking through a series in First Timothy uh, called Church, Why Bother? I said it the last couple of weeks, the reason why we decided, uh, the team of us that puts together all the sermons for Woodside, we decided to go in this direction, was kind of because uh, we believe that the church is wrestling with this, and people in the American church are wrestling with, what's the point? Like, is church really relevant for us today? Is it something we should be actively participating in, involved in? Like, why bother? More and more people are staying home, watching online, post-COVID, um, less and less people statistically are saying they're a part of a local church or actively participating in a church. And so we want to show through First Timothy the reality of the, the whole, at the end of the day, why the church is vitally important to not only um, the world, but also to the individual's life, my life included, and why God designed it the way he did for our good and his glory. And uh, today is going to be no different as we kind of transition today and looking at church leadership, or should I say the characteristics of church leadership, or um, um, really when you look at church leaders, what they should look like. And I just want to read the passage with us for one moment because it's, 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 it's 13 verses, and I'm going to jump in and out of it uh, today as we wrestle it together. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, I'm going to read all the way down to verse 13. It says this, This saying, or the saying, is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, responsible, sorry, excuse me, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought of well by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the shame of the devil. And then in verse 8, it transitions from not just elders, overseers, but it actually moves into deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear uh, conscience, and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons, for if they prove themselves blameless. And that's kind of what we're going to cover today. I'll stop there uh, for now. And it's interesting. I want to read it because when you read all of those passages, and really requirements for uh, church leadership. That's why I said I feel like I'm preaching to myself because I am that. So like I feel like I'm preaching to me today, but I want you to know today it's not time to check out. Don't go on Twitter or Instagram or something else for, for the moment, for the few minutes we have together. I just want to let you know that you have much to see in the text today. 
Like all of us in this room today, I'll come back to this in a moment, have a lot to pull out of the text today for the relevance of our own life and the character of our own life. It's interesting. I read it for a reason because we're going to read it again, but I just wanted you to hear it first before I ask a couple of questions. Of all of the requirements for church leadership that are found in 1 Timothy and Titus chapter 1, um, when you read them, of all of the requirements, you look at all the lists for elders and deacons and all these different stuff, you read everything at the end of the day, of all of the requirements, only one of the requirements has to do with competency. All the others have to do with character. You see, the difference is character is who I really am. Character is who you really are when no one's looking. Character is the person that really in your heart of hearts you truly are and you function like. You see, competency is more or less that one that's in there able to teach. That you have the, the competency level to be able to teach the Word of God properly. Or you have the gift of teaching. You see, competency is more the external reality, your giftedness, your ability to pull off different things, your ability to, to, to have people follow you, or your competency level in different areas. But you see, at the end of the day, I can take a class and gain competency, but character is forged much deeper than that. And to me, it's fascinating. Because when you read the, all of what, what the Apostle Paul lays out inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit to lay out for church leaders, at the end of the day, only one is competency. Isn't that awesome? Like the rest have to do with who you really are. The rest have to do with who I really am as an individual, really as a follower of Jesus. But what's fascinating to me, when you look at the American church today, where is the primary focus? Your, your competency, man. When, when someone uh, um, comes to try and get a job as a pastor, what do they do? They come and preach for the church. And like, man, that guy's gifted. He, he's got a good personality. He, he's really um, flamboyant or whatever it might be. And we're like, man, we want that individual. Can I ask the number one thing that people look at when they're looking for a church? What I'm doing right now. Whether or not they like the pastor and how he preaches. Second to that is the singing style. Third to that would be like the kids' ministry environment. It's just fascinating to me that when you read the Word of God and what is required of an individual to lead the church, we focus predominantly on the one of all of them in competency. And then I could tell you today, Today, in, in, in growing fashion, if you are a pastor and you have a gift and you can wow people and you can, you can, you're really good at illustrations or whatever it means, I mean, you can amass a crowd and a huge following on social media. And there's a reason why more and more and more we're seeing pastors fall out of ministry because of extramarital affairs and, and, and all kinds of like scandals or money issues or, or, or drinking issues or whatever it may be because so much of what we're focusing on is the competency level of the individual rather than who 
They really are. And I would say that, to be honest with you, it's not really much different outside the church. I mean, when's the last time you've been to a job interview and they're like, man, who are you really as an individual? They, I, they probably don't care. That's why when, whenever we're hiring at this place, I'm always trying to figure out who they really are. And you can find anybody that can sing a song as a worship leader. You can find a lot of different people that want to lead students. You can find a lot of gifted people who can really captivate people's attention to preach the word of God. But the difference is who are those people when they step off this platform? And the same is for you. And you can walk in here every Sunday. You can wear a nice suit or not. You can look like you have it all together, but the difference is you might look like you have it all to together because, man, you are, you are climbing the corporate ladder with your competencies or you can, you're doing this or that, but at the end of the day, character is cutting deep to who you really are and how you're functioning as a follower of Jesus. And today I want to look at this with an open mind for each one of us as we look at what Paul lays out as the requirements for church leadership and see how it might impact your life as well, because I think it has a lot of relevance for you. And what I want you to see today at the end of the day is that church or the church is cared for or led by qualified, faithful leaders. Notice I didn't say in there gifted leaders, qualified, faithful leaders who can push forward the kingdom of God. And before we enter it, I just want to lay out what we see in Scripture as elders and deacons. I don't want to take too much time for this because I don't want it to be uh, too, too cumbersome. But at the end of the day, we firmly believe, according to Scripture, elders, overseers, pastors care for the spiritual needs of the church and deacons care for the practical needs of the church. And so here at Woodside, we have those, man. We have, we have elders at our campus, myself and... Um, where is he? He's not in here. Ben Fielder used to be an elder. He's not much kind of anymore. We still consider him to be. Um, at the same time, uh, we have Preston Zale. You'll see him later in February teaching, but uh, he's here. He's probably teaching in kids ministry. And we have previous elders who we consider still elders like Joe Linklater and, and Mark Johnson and others. And then we have a host of deacons, men and women that serve because we firmly believe the elders care for the spiritual needs of the church. And so they're teaching and leading and praying and shepherding. And then deacons are those who we see according to Scripture who are exercising leadership in a way of practical leadership, right? I'll give you a quick example. Acts chapter 6, there's stuff going on. The church is flourishing and blowing up. And there's kind of an accusation by some of the Gentile Christians who say that the needs of Gentile widows are not being taken care of. And so the apostles come together, and this is what it says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 2. And the twelve summoned a full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good, good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, at first glance, you might be like, man, that's very arrogant of them. They, they, don't, they can't, like, serve tables. That's, that's not the idea here at the end of the day they're not thinking that they're special and they only get to read the bible and pray and teach 
They're just looking at the end of the day. Their job is oversight, and their role at the time is prayer and teaching and praying. And deacons, they need to find people who were able to then care for the practical needs of the church. And I don't have time to get into it, but keep reading the book of Acts. Deacons were no slouches. These are people that are like out doing the Pharisees and in, in, in conversing with the word of God. Like Stephen literally is stoned because he embarrasses a bunch of uh, religious people that really think they have it all together. They're not slouches in the word of God or even teaching. It's just they were appointed at that time for serving roles. And so we have the same thing here at our church. We have deacons that oversee our benevolence to where like if you're in the church, and man, I just want to tell you you're here and you have need, physical need, and you need to be cared for, like that we have an account for that and they oversee that and they oversee baptisms and they oversee uh, um, caring for the building and the facilities in some forms and fashions and prayer and many other things that are practical within our church and we think it's biblical. It's found right here in the text in the word of God. And today I just want to walk through now the requirements, really the character qualities for me at the end of the day of what these people have and then dive in to see how it might be practical for you as well. And so if you just look with me, I'm going to read um, some snippets from verses 1 to 3 and then also in 8 and 9 as well. And the first thing I want you to see is the church leaders, they have control over their appetites is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Look what it says with me. It says, the saying is, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, overseer, he desires a noble task. In verse 2, therefore an overseer must be, he goes on, the husband of one wife, self-controlled not a drunkard, not a lover of money, then later on with deacons, not addicted to much wine, very similar, not greedy for dishonored gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith which is a, with a clear conscience. And so what he's saying at the very beginning here is that leaders must be controlled over their appetites. And he starts off at the very beginning in verse, t, verse 2. He says, therefore an overseer must be above reproach and a husband of one wife. Now why would he say that? Why would he say a husband of one wife? At the end of the day, the Apostle Paul is saying that leaders of the church need to be a one-woman kind of man. Now, there's a number of reasons why. Back then, there was some, some areas of polygamy where people would have numerous wives. He's saying this is the way it's supposed to be. One man for one woman for one life. You're supposed to be committed one to another. But he's also talking about their sexual appetite at the end of the day. That they should, that should be in controlled. And if it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing. And that church leaders should be ones that are committed to their spouses, doing life with their spouses. And I, I feel the weight of this. My job as a pastor comes second to my job to my family. Like my job is to love my wife, to adore her, to date her, to prioritize her, to, to, to care for her, to, as Ephesians chapter 5 says, lay down my life for her every day as Christ did the church. Like, that's my job, and, and as a leader in the church, I'm supposed to be an example of that to you all. You talk about pressure, look at all of you. <laughs> yeah, and my wife might give you a different story sometimes, because I'm not perfect. And what's fascinating to me, I'm just going to dive into it now, and it's going to be applicable for the entire time. One of the things, if you've ever said to this me, I'm not, I'm not pushing on you, I'm not upset with you, but I'm just saying one of the things that sometimes grinds me as a pastor is when people say, you can't do that, you're a pastor. And I'm always like, so you can? 
Like, so as a pastor, there's certain things I can or can't do, but you can. Like, like all of the lists of the requirements here, I'm just going to throw it out there for you. They are not just requirements for leaders. They're requirements for all followers of Jesus. They just have to be actively seen in the leader of the church. It's not that only the pastor has to be a husband of one wife, and men, men out here, you can do whatever you want. It's not that only, as we'll get to in a moment, that the pastor can't be a drunk. It means that followers of Jesus should be in subjection. It means that not only should a pastor have all these qualities, that as the Apostle Paul says, is in a great example, he says, follow me as I follow the Lord. That should be my heart and my mentality, that the life of a pastor should be imitatable to his congregation, the people that he's leading, as he follows the Lord, so they should, but he should be an example of it. So I'm just going to be clear with you. At every one of these posts, I'm going to say, how are you doing? Because I'm asking myself, this is a humbling passage to preach, I'll just be honest with you. In every section, I'm like, man, am I doing a good job of being a husband to my wife, Sarah? I think sometimes I am. I think sometimes I struggle because I'm human. I'll just ask you, man, how are you doing with it? Men in the church, how are you doing? When's the last time you took your wife on a date? Don't squeeze someone's thigh real quick, like, or elbow them. Like, man, when's the last time your wife felt like you, like, you cared for her? That you woke up and you, like, laid down your life for her? And, and literally, some of you in this room, laying down your life is vacuuming. You're like, ah. <laughs> hey, guys, I'll just give you a, it's free. Buy a Roomba. Okay? Like, when's the last time, like, you, your wife felt like you... You really loved her and cherished her and, and saw her. Men or women, I just ask you, like, when was the last time your husband felt the same in all of those areas? Are we a one individual kind of person? Are we a one woman kind of man? Are we a one wife kind of, uh, or a one husband kind of woman? We're like, that's where eyes go. Men in this room, I'm just going to be very frank with you, and I'll try to go over kids' heads as much as possible. Statistically, in this room, 50% of men in this room are addicted to pornography. That is not a one-woman kind of man. And it's not honoring to God. So the question is, what the Spirit of God is saying to us is, that we are to be in control of our appetites, controlled by the Spirit of God. I'll go on quickly because he says a couple of examples. He says, man, that we must not be a drunk. He speaks specifically to alcohol. Deacons, the same. Must not be addicted to much mind. So it's important for me just to note here, and it's free, I'm not going to get into it. He does not forbid entirely drinking alcohol. But he is saying, don't drink too much, don't get drunk, all throughout scriptures, don't be addicted to it. They're not to be in control of it. Later on, in Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says, don't get drunk, but be controlled by the Spirit of God, right? So the point is, is to not lose your control, because you're supposed to be in constant control by the Spirit of God, who can move in you, and move with you, and control you. He goes on to not only just your, your partner and, and, and drink, he says, over your appetite for money. 
He says that elders and pastors and overseers shouldn't be lovers of money. And I'll just want to be abundantly clear. He does not say that you can't have money or a decent amount of money or be wealthy. At the end of the day, he says you cannot love it. This will come up again later in, in, in 1 Timothy. Um, at the end of the day, he's saying you can't be motivated by money. You can't find your identity in money. You can't put money ahead of other people. You start to make bad decisions because you're controlled by your appetite of mammon, the god of mammon. Today, I'll just be honest with you, one of the gods that we need to throw down or tear down the altar of in the American church is the god of mammon, the god of money, the god of stuff. It's controlling us. And I'll just be honest with you, he does not say here anywhere in the text, pastors need to be poor. Let's be honest with you, sometimes I feel like people think that. Man, like, you, you shouldn't be able to have anything nice, and you shouldn't be able to go on vacation or do anything, because, you know, as a pastor, you signed up to be for poverty. That's not what the Scripture says. No, all of us here need to control our appetites at the end of the day. I, 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 was, in, I was in Nashville this weekend. Um, I turned 40 on Friday. Yeah. Please don't clap. I'm pretty upset about it. Um, literally, I'm not kidding you. It's the first time I was telling my friends, my, my wife this weekend, is this, this is the first time in my life where I've, I've seriously, this is completely honest, I've contemplated how many years left I have in life. I'm like, if I have a good 30 more, thank you, Lord, like 40. But like, in all honesty, I, I, I'm, I'm like, man, it's crazy how much time is going by. So we're just down there, uh, side note, I got on a tangent. We were just down there uh, celebrating my birthday for a couple of days uh, with my wife and a couple friends. And anyways, while we were there, I saw the reality of, of people that struggle with being hangry. Anybody? Like, literally, you get too hungry and your aggression comes. Like, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, you were a nice person, and now you become hungry, and you're a different person. I see a lot of people looking at other people in the room. This is awesome. I wish you could look out sometimes. Right? My wife struggles with this sometimes. I'm not throwing her under the bus or anything, but... She, I just know when she needs to eat food. And she's okay with me saying that. She's coming to the next service. I won't say it then. But like, <laughs> you know, you get hangry. Like what it means is literally you, you lose control of your emotions and the control of your words or your actions. She doesn't. She's a saint. But you can just tell when people get hungry, they're like overwhelmed. This is what the Apostle Paul is really saying at the end of the day, is at the end of the day when our appetites are in the wrong place, they begin to control us, and we are not ourselves, and we begin to act as though we shouldn't. We're controlled by something else rather than the Spirit of God. And you can look to me and all other leadership in this church and say, man, is he being controlled by the Spirit of God, or is he being controlled by something else? And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to look back at you and say, are you being controlled by something else, or are you being controlled by the Spirit of God? Because at the end of the day, church, you and me both should strive to have the active presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives rather than being controlled by the appetite of sex, money, food, drink, whatever it is at the end of the day, and be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And so I just ask you a couple of questions. Are you surrendering? Your appetites to the Lord. Are you looking to the Lord to fulfill your desires and your heart? There's this guy in the Old Testament named Solomon. 
and he was probably wealthier than the wealthiest person right now we know. He had hundreds of wives. He was the wisest person maybe to ever live, and he starts a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes, and he just says, vanity is vanity. And at the end of the day, there is nothing in this world that will ever leave you not hungry for more except the God of the universe. Amen? That's it. That's where I start. I have three more points, and I have like 14 minutes, so let's do this. Church leaders have um, grace in the relationship, it says. Look with me in verse 2. They are to be hospitable. Verse 3, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Verse 11, not slanderers. So, so they're supposed to have grace in the relationships. Man, um, there's several things listed here really for deacons and elders, but it's all coming down to the relationships. The word hospitable here is a word really from the Greek, as you translate it, it means a lover of strangers. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of hospitality. And the Greek word, it's, it's the opposite of, I'm going to use a word, you've probably heard it before, xenophobe. It's the opposite. You may have heard that word before, and at the end of the day, in the Greek, the Greek word for xenophobe is someone who's afraid of strangers, who has a phobia towards strangers. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, instead of being afraid of strangers or disliking strangers, at the end of the day, we should be a lover of strangers and hospitable at the end of the day, or we shouldn't be really cliquish. We should be inviting other people into our lives. We should be open relationally to people in the church, willing to connect with them and welcoming them, welcoming them into our lives. And this is what I should be at the end of the day as a church leader, is that, man, I should be a lover of strangers. I love when I'm able to have people into my home, and I'm able to go into your home and have dinner. That's amazing. Like, I want to be that as a leader, and I want you to be that as an individual. All throughout the scriptures, we see the gift of hospitality and people opening their homes and bringing people in. And that doesn't mean you can't have your own friends. Can I just tell you, I want to speak for myself. That doesn't mean I can't have my own friends. But we have to be people that are hospitable to one another, bringing each other in. But he says in verse 3 that we should be not violent, but gentle and not quarrelsome. Man, we shouldn't be someone who's a brawler or have a chip on our shoulder. We're looking to pick a fight at the end of the day. That would be really bad for a pastor. You can imagine what their preaching is every Sunday. Man, I'm just ready to pick a fight with somebody today. I want to upset somebody so I have a conversation in the lower lobby and I can just smash them. That's horrible. No, he says, man, we should be gentle at the end of the day. Verse 11, he says, we should not be slanders. The pastor of the church should definitely not be a slanderer. The Greek word here is, it means where we get our word dubious or, or diabolical, excuse me. And he's not just talking about a specific kind of lie. He's not just talking about any lie. He's talking about a specific kind of lying and slandering, really falsely accusing people. You know, it's the opposite of what I'm called to do as a pastor, as you, as a, as a follower of Jesus, we're called to love people. Man, you cannot love someone and falsely accuse them. I can't love people in the church or outside the church and then destroy them uh, because I, I'm, I'm speaking ill of them and really slandering them, and it may not even be true, I'm just saying it. 
Like how many times in the church have we seen people, they hear something, they don't know if it's true or not, and they share it with another person, be like, and then I love to go even further, they share it in the form of a prayer request. I heard that um, Lindsay is really struggling right now, and we just need to pray for her. And really, the only reason you said it is so you could tell people that that person was struggling. And at the end of the day, the Apostle Paul is saying that we as leaders should be an example to you and you as followers of Jesus at the end of the day, we should be people that are, are, have grace in our relationships. So let's ask you, church, do you demonstrate a relational grace like Jesus where your heart is open to other people, your home is open to other people in the church or outside the church for the cause of Christ? Man, people aren't easy to love. Anybody heard that? Can we get an amen there? Yeah. My wife knows people aren't hard to love because she lives with me. Right? But, but God calls us to be people who are graceful towards other people in relationships. He calls me to it, and he calls you to it. Look with me in the third thing. Church leaders should have leadership in their home. This is where it gets tough for, for pastors. I'll just be honest with you. Your life is a fishbowl to be examined. Look in verse 4. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Verse 12. Let deacons now each manage their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain their good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That as church leaders, I should be someone who has leadership in my home. I should be someone who's, who, who's exercising leadership in my home. It, it's something that I shouldn't be here with you exercising leadership every day because it's my job. Um, and, and it's interesting for pastors because our jobs oversee or overlap with our spirituality as well. And so, man, if you're a bank teller, you come home every day, you leave it there. Mine, it's infiltrated into my everyday life. And I'll just be honest with you, you are no different. It should be infiltrated in every part of your life. And the Apostle Paul says, man, he, he says, oftentimes the church is called a home or a family. That's the, the, the expression used in the New Testament. So it's, no, it's no, no surprise here that he's saying that if you're going to be a leader in the church, the big home or the big family, you need to be a pretty good leader in your own home, your own family at the end of the day. Now, he doesn't. I'm saying this for my own kids. They're not in this service. They'll be in the next one. He is not saying that leaders' children have to be perfectly obedient. So if you see my kids smart off to me in the lower lobby, it's going to happen. Like, they're, they're going to they're gonna be disciplined for it. But, but he's saying at the end of the day, they're not perfect. But there should be a spirit of submission or acceptance of the parents' leadership in their lives because at the end of the day, what it means is the parents actively participating in the life of the kid or, or, or the children in their lives. What he's saying, what he's meaning is that church leaders should be intentionally cultivating an obedient heart in their children, actively disciplining their children when it's necessary. Right? I love the qualifier. He says, with dignity. So it doesn't give a license for... for, for um, people to oversee their kids and make them submit or rage against them to obey. Rather, at the end of the day, he's saying there should be this collective mix of tenderness and firmness to help them to the point children in the way of following Jesus. 
Man, that, that, that's what I hope to aspire to with my kids, is that man, my kids need to be disciplined, but there also needs to be a tenderness that I'm leading them in following Jesus, pointing them to follow after the Lord every single day. And he's saying at the end of the day, man, if a mom or dad in leadership in the church is detached or withdrawn, there's two sides. There's kind of this, this massive gap. You can be detached or withdrawn. Man, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of pastors today that are detached and withdrawn at the sake of ministry. Man, they're so busy because everyone else needs them that they forget about their own kids. They're so busy with what's happening for the church, and it's okay because it's ministry, it's for God, and all these other things, and they, they literally sacrifice their own family on the altar of ministry, and it's not okay. So he's saying there has to be this sense of, uh, of not being detached or withdrawn, but also not too forceful or tyrannical that they're overseeing their kids are like, man, you better look nice because you make me look nice. If you run in the church one more time, right? I want my kids to love that I'm a pastor, so I'm like, just take a sprint. Just... <laughs> like, I never want my kids to not follow Jesus because I was a pastor. Because they thought something differently. Man, at the end of the day, Parenting is very hard. Anybody else? Parenting is a behind-the-scenes coming out. What I mean by that is you can tell your kids not to act up or whatever, and if you are an absent parent or a forceful parent, people will see it in the general public. There's no way to hide that. It's like the behind the scenes of the pastor will come out in the presence of their children in their life. Now, I will say at the end of the day, it's like the Old Testament verse that says, train your children the way that they should go and they will not depart from it, right? In Proverbs and all these people are like, man, I brought my kids to church every Sunday. I was a pastor and they walked away from the Lord. Sure, we might have some missteps in our own lives, but I'll tell you, that isn't a promise in the Old Testament. That's a general pithy truth of wisdom. In general, if you train your children up to follow after the Lord, they will follow after it, but they will have to make their own decisions in everyday life to follow after the Lord. And so when we look at it for ourselves, it's like the Apostle Paul is just going from a lesser to a greater. He's saying, man, in a small microcosm of your own family, man, if you can't manage that, if you're either absent or overbearing in that, how are you going to lead all of these different people? He's just saying, this is just a picture of what your life is like, man. If you're, you're uninvolved with your kids, dads, if you're absent with your kids because you like to golf too much, hit somebody over there, I'm just kidding. Uh, or or you, 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 like, you like to work too much, and your excuse is, at the end of the day, well, I want my kids to have what I never got to have. Can I tell you, your kids want a dad, a present father. Moms, the, the same thing can be true. Man, uh, if you're here and you're a parent and you're overbearing for the sake of being overbearing because your dad was overbearing or your family's overbearing, can I just tell you, at the end of the day, the Lord is not just calling me, Jim Dolkey, as the leader of this congregation to parent well, present in my family. He's calling you and me today collectively to furnish our homes with the grace of God 
that we might raise our children to follow after the ways of Jesus. And I hope, my prayer, is that I can be some sort of example of that as I follow after the Lord to the best I can. So I just ask you, I'll just ask you today, like, what's the state of your home? What's the state of your family? Because like I said, this is an easy place to come, and you come skipping in. Not everybody does, because sometimes you come in, and your kids are like, Aah! you're like, just take them from me in there. Scan your thing, and you hand them to Josh. Like, just, I'm washing my hands of this kid. I'm going upstairs. Sure, but like, at the end of the day, we can really, at the end of the day, like, do a lot in life, and most people not see the day-to-day operation of our family, how we function, what it looks like, how we're managing things well. Because I'll just, I'll just say at the end of the day, your kids and your family were given to you like your finances are and like all things that you've been given to manage for the kingdom of God. And it's about stewardship. Your children that God has given you, parents in this room, is about stewardship for the kingdom of God. Last week, people stood up here and they dedicated their kids to the Lord. That's them saying to you and you saying to them that we're going to help in the process, but I'm dedicating, not that my kid, this is giving some special grace that they're now automatically going to follow the Lord. No, it's saying before the Lord, I am promising that in my household, I am going to lead my kids to follow after you to the best of my ability. I'm not going to depend on the church to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the church to partner with me, but at the end of the day, then I'm going to do all I can to pray with my kids, share the word of God with my kids, be an example to my kids, because they see me when none of you do, and they know the ins and outs of my everyday life. And it's humbling, parents, when your kids call you out. Isn't it? I'm the only one. My kids are like, Dad, you preached about that last week. I sent an email, I said, ushers, my kids are no longer able to come to the service. I can't have them hearing my preaching. But in all reality, like, husbands, I I talked about this last week. Are you leading your wife spiritually? Your family spiritually? Do you spend time at all even talking about the things of God? Let's just start bare minimum. You pray with your family, with your wife. Do you ever crack the word of God open and, and just read with them or talk about it? Are, are you managing your household well? Wives, are you loving your husbands and encouraging them? Are you walking with them? Are, are you loving your kids? and growing them to follow after Jesus to the best of your ability? Are you encouraging your husband when he fails? Because he will, right? And parents, are you just, do you even have a plan? Man, I'll just throw it out there because I got a number of emails from last week which are awesome and some of them I haven't gotten back to, so bear with me. I'll just tell you, if you don't have a plan as to what it looks like for you and your family spiritually, please reach out to me. We want to help. Because my heart longs for every person in this place to spiritually gather as a family and know what God has for them. So lastly, quickly, this is uh, predominantly for me and for the leadership of the church as we look in verses 6 and 7 that the church leaders have to mature in the faith. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up or conceited 
and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into the disgrace, into the snare of the devil. In verse 10, speaking of deacons, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now, he says that the church leaders should, should be mature in their faith. Now, I'll bet you there are people in this room that when you say the word elder, they thought you had to be old to be an elder. There are. I promise you, because I have the conversation with people like, oh, man, I thought that, that, I don't know how you're an elder. I thought you had to be an old person. It's elder. Now, I think baked into the, to, to it, there is a level of that that comes with the job, that it's, there's a maturity that sometimes can only come through long living in the faith and growing in the word. But I will say, just next, next chapter, he says to Timothy, no one to despise his youth as he's a young pastor. So it doesn't mean that you have to be old, but he's saying there has to be a maturity level here. We shouldn't rush people into leadership. It shouldn't be a recent convert. They, they might get puffed up. A young leader might be like, man, I'm all that in a bag of chips. And then what happens? They're unproven. And it says that they might fall into the snare of the devil. And what does that mean at the end of the day? At the end of the day, what was the problem with the devil? He used to be an angel, and he thought he was himself too good. He wanted the glory rather than to give the glory to God, and he fell from heaven. If you read Scripture, right? So at the end of the day, I think it's a great illustration for church leadership that church leadership will be so mature in their faith that nothing about them wants to gain the glory or take the glory from God. They want to point all the people People in their congregation as they're leading them to only the glory of God, to only keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, unlike the devil. And the deacons the same in verse 10. But they should lead with a sacrificial humility like Jesus. So man, I, I just want to I just want to end with two things. The first thing I want to say is pray for your leaders. Like pray not just me, I'm one of 14 campus pastors of Woodside across Metro Detroit. And then you have second level leaders. Then you have Pastor Chris, who's the leader of the entire church and congregation. Do you spend time praying for your leaders that they would exemplify what it means to follow Jesus, that they might be a good example to the rest of the congregation? Then number two, I would just say at the end of the day, I just want to ask you, how's your character? You might look at me and be like, Jim, I'm the most competent person in this room. That's awesome. That's amazing. You're gifted. You're blessed by the Lord. My question for you today is, how is your character? When no one in this room sees you or knows you, do you exemplify the things that we talked about today as men, as women, as family leaders, as leaders in this church, May we be collectively, myself included with each of you, people that exemplify the character of Jesus, the character of God, that we might lead well here in the church and outside the church together. Pray with me. God, thank you for today and for um, just this, this passage that not often do we preach from, but Lord, it's there in First Timothy for our good and your glory. And so God, I ask that you would Help us today that we would be people, myself included, starting really with me, Lord, at the end of the day, starting with Pastor Chris and the other leaders, that we would be people that exemplify these things. We'd be people 
that have control of our appetites. We'd be people that, that have grace in our relationships. We'd be people that are, that, are, that are walking with our families well, no matter what part of the family we are. And we would be leaders who, who are mature in our faith, walking with you, Lord. And God, I ask that you would gain much from it um, because we're walking in obedience with you. Um, it's in your great and powerful name, Lord. Lead us in Jesus' name.